minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano, I'm hosting today's program. Yes, it is a program, it is not a show, because we're here to provide an analysis and hopefully encourage you to leave that computer screen, get out of that armchair and start becoming active in the struggle to change society. So what's anarchism? An anarchist society is a society without rulers, not without rules. That's right, society without rulers. That's what an anarchist society is. And how do you create a society without rulers? You break down hierarchy. And how do you break down hierarchy? You devolve power by using direct democratic principles to make decisions and you hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Very conservative, boring concepts, I keep telling people. There's nothing exciting about anarchism. It's all about hard work, self-discipline, and the list goes on and on. Well, there's a lot of things happening. Now, for the uh, Melbourne listeners, and I know it's a national program, but for Melbourne listeners, the Wednesday Action Group will be outside the Law Institute of Victoria from 11.30am on Wednesday, the 23rd. Of August at 470 Burke Street. Join them. It's a cold day, but join them. There's a lot of, obviously, a lot of issues. And what I try to do in the program is I try to look at the issues, whether they're overseas, local, international, national, whatever, regional, and try to tie them in. And obviously, it's not an easy task, but uh, that's the role of the uh, anarchist world this week. And just in case you're wondering how long the anarchist world this week has been on this planet, we are about to celebrate our 40th anniversary of broadcasting. Initially, that's right, initially, as the the, uh, encounters with the third alternative, this is when the communist empire was everywhere, but with the fall of the communist empire at least in Russia and Eastern Europe. We uh, changed the name from the encounters with the third alternative, which was capitalism, communism, anarchism, to the anarchist world this week. And to mark the 40th anniversary celebrations, and I'm giving you a big invitation all over Australia. If you wanted to see Melbourne, this is a great chance to come down to Melbourne. We'll be doing a live broadcast on Wednesday, the 20th of September, from 10am to 11am, 
at the Unitarian Church at 110 Gray Street in East Melbourne. I think the invitation will be up on the Facebook page and the web pages and all that very soon. And uh, doors open at 9.30am. Bit of a discussion from 11 to 12 about organising. And there'll be lunch, which will cost $15 a head. And if you've got a bit of money, buy two lunches and give one away to somebody who can't afford to eat on the day. And that lunch will be provided by the West Papuan community via the Sampari Catering. So it should be a great day. It'll go from about 9.30 a.m. about around 9.30 a.m. till about 3, 4 p.m. So it should be a great day. Take the whole day off. If you live somewhere else in Australia and you're coming to Melbourne for something else, turn up Wednesday the 20th of September. I know it's about four or five weeks away, but now's the time to get organised because you may have to take the day off work. And we thought, you know, have a live broadcast. Why not? A live broadcast with you throwing carrots and rotten tomatoes at me as I speak. should be a great day to which you're all invited. Now, obviously, there's a lot of other bits and pieces happening. Now, those of you who wondered what's ever happened to the West Papuan Rent Collective, it's still going. Into its fourth year, the West Papua Independence Movement Rent Collective urgently needs new members. When don't we need new members? And what the Rent Collective does, it pays the rent for the West Papuan Independence Movement to have an office in the Docklands in the city. It's basically a de facto consulate embassy for the West Papuans. And uh, on Saturday... The 2nd of September, from 1pm to 4pm, the West Papua Rent Collective will be holding a lunch and speakers at uh, the office, 838 Collins Street, Docklands, to which you are all invited. Uh, If you're a Rent Collective member... Lunch is free. If you're not a Rent Collective member, we're asking for a well. They're asking for a five dollar donation to help with office costs. So, if you'd like to join the West Papuan Independence Movement Rent Collective, go to my Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. Have a look. It's all there. The invitation's there. If it's not there now, it'll be there up in the next day or two. So, come along Saturday, second of September, one p.m. to four p.m. Find out up-to-date news about how far the independent struggle has gone. There's been a lot of things happened in the last four months since the last get-together of the Rent Collective. If you're not a member of the Rent Collective, it's a dollar a day, 365 days a year. You can donate anonymously into any Commonwealth Bank account. Give us a call. 0439-395-489-0439-395-489. Remember, West Papua is 76 kilometres from Australia. The independent struggle has been ongoing for the last 60 years. Over half a million people have died directly and indirectly as, as a result of that independent struggle. And this is in a population of less than 2 million. So this is a great way to assist the West Papua Independence Movement by becoming a member of the Wren Collective, by us taking away the burden of them paying the rent on an office. It allows them to spend 95% of their time being involved in political activity, 95% of their time 
going across the United Nations, attempting to get the question of West Papua put on the UN decolonisation list, and they're nearly there. There's a lot of work going on behind the scenes. This is a great way to find out how far they've gone, listen to the reports, speak to the people involved, have a look at the uh, office, try before you buy, if you like it, become a member of the Rent Collective, a dollar a day, $30 a month. What can you get for $30 a month? packet of cigarettes and get lung cancer or emphysema or chronic obstructive airways disease, two pizzas and get cholesterol, you know, why not? You can lose weight and uh, join the Rent Collective and give the West Papua Independence Movement the leg up they need, not just in Australia but around the globe. All right. You've got to give some people credit for audacity. And I love, I love the Australian Roman Catholic Church. I love them. I mean, here we are, they've been rocked, rocked by scandals regarding childhood sexual abuse. Rocked. They're not the only ones, but they're a major player in this little escapade. And when you see Ridgedale pop up, every so often, to answer more childhood sexual abuse charges and pleading guilty to them, and the number's now, I think, over 60, maybe even over 70, all over Victoria, you think to yourself, if this institution had some structures, but this man and other people in the church would not have been able to become serial pedophiles. So they've got a lot of cleaning of the Aegean stables to go on. But then we see the head of the archbishops in Australia, they haven't got a cardinal at the minute. Well, they have got a cardinal, but he's got a few issues he needs to deal with, which I'm not very interested in looking at. But crapping on about the fact that of the 190,000 employees in the Roman Catholic education system in this country, that if they do the wrong thing regarding the marriage equality debate, that if, they, if their employees get married or promote the idea of uh, you know, marriage equality, that there will be severe consequences, not my word, his word, severe consequences... Look, Archbishop Hart, I've never met you. I did write to you once, but you never responded. But, not that I expect you to respond, but, mate, don't you understand that you never bite the hand that feeds you? Who feeds the Roman Catholic education sector? You and me. The Australian taxpayer. Billions of dollars every year are channeled into the Australian Catholic education sector, primary schools, secondary colleges, universities. 90%, 95% of their income would come from the taxpayer. So why should we continue to fund you 
when you're not willing to allow your employees to enjoy the same rights as every Australian citizen. Let's think about it. I mean, everybody says, oh, if we withdraw money from the Catholic education sector, the whole education system would fall. It wouldn't fall. You could redirect that money into the public sector and you could incorporate those students who, you know, are forced to go into that public sector because the educa- Catholic education sector collapses on itself. Now, I have nothing against religious education. I have nothing against caregivers and parents sending their kids to a religious school. Nothing whatsoever. All I ask is that the taxpayer doesn't fund that education, whether it's Jewish, whether it's Hindu, whether it's Muslim, whether it's Christian, whether it's Roman Catholic, Pentecostal. I don't care. But what I care about is that taxpayers' funds are used to fund educational institutions which thumb their noses at the Australians and do what they would like to do, irrespective of community standards and laws. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Now, if you think I'm anti-Catholic, I'm not anti-Catholic. The next segment I'm going to do is about the Catholic Church in the Philippines. Because there are Catholic churches and Catholic churches. There are Catholic bishops and Catholic bishops. There are Catholic cardinals and Catholic cardinals. When President Rodrigo, that's right, Duterte, the butcher, he's taken over from Sahate, the old butcher of the Philippines, began his little let's clean up the drug problem by cleaning up a few addicts and a few, you know, a few thousand low-level dealers in the slums of the Philippines. Let's give the police carte blanche and the army carte blanche. Let's allow them to wear little hoods and go around shooting people and planting guns on them. You know, 90% of the Filipinos said, Hallelujah, brothers and sisters, this is the way to Nirvana. The only people who stood in the way of Rodrigo's Duterte's vendetta, murderous vendetta on defenceless people because they got a drug habit or they're a low-level drug dealer, was the Filipino Catholic Church. They were the only ones. And over the last two weeks, there's been an escalation in the murder of Filipinos. Some are drug addicts and some aren't. Because there's a bounty which is paid to police. And obviously, as long as you've got a body in the street, it doesn't really matter who they are. But occasionally, people make mistakes. And the big mistake in the last week has been that a 17-year-old model student, Clan Lloyd de los Santos, was shot dead by hooded police who planted a gun in his hand to justify their actions so they could pick up their little bounty from El Presidente.
And it looks like this murder, this is about 12,000 now, this murder was the straw that broke the camel's back. The Senate, the Filipino Senate, which has been supporting Rodrigo, El Presidente the Butcher, has been supporting him, have finally broken ranks and are going to hold a Senate inquiry into the 12,000 murders. And let's not forget the death, the murders of 12,000 people over the last year in the Philippines by the state, by the state, is the largest number of civilians that have been murdered in Southeast Asia since the end of the Vietnam War and since the end of the Khmer Rouge Pol Pot regime in Cambodia. So this is significant. And why have these murders escalated over the last two to three weeks? Because our friend, our President the Butcher of the Philippines, can't even dislodge a few score, 40 or 50 Muslim fundamentalists hold up down south of Mindanao, despite US and Australian assistance, despite unleashing the, uh, the so-called Filipino military. It seems that they're only more, they're more suited to killing their own people than actually dealing with a fundamentalist insurgency. So obviously, El Presidente, the butcher, wants to deflect people's attention from what's happening down south and the inability of his government to actually deal with the issue, which what really is a minor rebellion. So what has the Catholic Church done? Well, the Catholic Church in the Philippines has been against these extrajudicial murders since the very beginning. But since the murder of Clan Santos, Archbishop Socrates Villegas has ordered that the church bells on the cathedral be rung every 15 minutes. And why would they be rung every 15 minutes? To pierce people's consciousness, to break the silence, to get people debating what's happening. And he stated... The bells are the voice of God that we hope will wake up numb and blind consciousnesses. The bells are the voice of God that we hope will wake up numb and blind consciousness because it's very easy to be blind. It's very easy to be blind until it happens in your backyard. And what we are seeing is wholesale murder by the state in the Philippines, which has been supported by the parliament and the judiciary and the media and most civil organs in that country, except for the Roman Catholic Church. So when I point the finger at the Roman Catholic Church in Australia and I point the finger at the head of the Archbishop's group, Archbishop Melbourne, Archbishop's heart, It's not an attack on the church itself, but it's an attack on the type of people that are in the church and the things that they believe are important.
Think about it. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. There's going to be a lot of overseas stuff today, which I apologise for, but sometimes you've got to look at what's happening overseas because of the impact here. The Groper, President Donald Groper. The great statesman, I hear you say. I hear the President made a statement. Now, look, have you noticed what's been happening in the United States of America? Maybe we should call it the United Dictatorship of America. Because it looks like the Groper, President Groper, is becoming a hostage to the US military-industrial complex. Now that the business sector has deserted him, and he's at constant warfare with the uh, corporate-owned media, and he's beginning to lose a little bit of traction among his supporters, the Groper has thrown his hat into the military-industrial complex ring. And if you look at all his advisers currently, they're all ex-military people. So no wonder we see the hostage, President Groper, Donald Groper, to give him his full title, um, carry on about the war in Afghanistan, carry on about US interests across the globe. So get ready for a little bit more sabre-rattling, a little bit more murder, a little bit more nationalism, It's all there. It's all there. Think about it. Hostage to the military-industrial complex. The great reformer, or the great wannabe reformer, President Donald Groper, now is the hostage of the military-industrial complex. And I thought it was very nice of him to actually wave the sabre at the Pakistan government and the porous border between Afghanistan and uh, Pakistan, and the fact that the Taliban were the creation of the uh, Pakistan Secret Service and continue to be bankrolled by the Pakistan Secret Service. But when it comes to terrorism, and I haven't seen many Taliban fighters go out of Afghanistan, you know, to promote their brand of uh, Islam, but I have seen a lot of uh, people from Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, go out and we've got to remember that there are bad terrorists and there are good terrorists okay it's like there are bad nuclear bombs and good nuclear bombs and all the bad terrorists come from pakistan and afghanistan and yemen and all the good terrorists come from saudi arabia if you remember that you can't go wrong in the gropers grasp of reality let's move on to something a little bit more Interesting. Let's move back to the land of Oz, the land of the long lunch used to be. Not anymore. Okay. Now, I like to listen to the news on the ABC because there's no analysis. And uh, I don't listen to analysis anymore. I'm sick of analysis. I'm too old to listen to other people crap on about things I know nothing about. I was very interested to hear the CEO of BHP. I think it was CEO. It could have been the chair of the board. I can't know. The chief executive officer or the chair. I can't remember. It may have been the chair. Mr Andrew McKenzie. 
because, you know, BHB board has now made up its mind to cut away their fracking business in the US because they're losing money. There's money now to be splashed around. Shareholders. And he made a very profound statement, which I think highlights the type of society we are. I don't think he realised he made a profound statement, but I think he made a profound statement. He said that the job of government, that's right, the job of government, he said he was sick and tired of all this citizenship crap, right? They get, it, get their eyes on the main ball and the job of government is to be pro-business and pro-growth. And if you're pro-business and pro-growth, jobs will increase, okay? You create jobs. As if the role of government is to create jobs. You know, you've got to be pro-business, pro-growth. Okay? And I thought, well, that's what you'd expect from somebody high up in the BHB, obviously, or any corporation. But look, look, I hate to give unsolicited advice to very intelligent people who get millions of dollars for running these multi-million or billion-dollar companies, okay? Because who am I? To give advice to the corporate sector, I'm just, you know, a snowflake in hell. That's all I am, snowflake in hell. But unfortunately, you've got, your, you've got it wrong, mate. The job of government is not to be pro-business or pro-growth, so to create jobs which are illusory, and we'll look at that in a minute. But the job of government is to provide for the citizens and residents of this country, irrespective of how rich or poor they are. It is to provide the framework via which people's basic human needs are met. It's not the old type of government, you know, the 18th, 19th century government, which was there to ensure that those in power continue to remain in power, and use the state apparatus to quash all dissent. Because you can have a pro-business and pro-growth government, but you don't, and you can, you can actually, you don't actually necessarily increase jobs. Because the role of a corporation and the role of a board and the role role of the CEO is to create ever increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human social, environmental and national cost. That's their role. And if that means getting rid of people and using automation, if that means transferring segments of your business overseas to low-wage countries and low-wage economies so you can maximise your profits, well, that's the role of corporations. That's their role is to return dividends to their shareholders. End of story. They have no responsibility to the nation state. They don't have responsibility to the government of the day. They don't have any environmental responsibility. They've got no social responsibility. So it's illusory to think that a pro-business government and a pro-growth government is going to deliver and we are seeing that today, not just in terms of the 20% of Australians who can't, you know, 
rub together 500 bucks in a, in a time of an emergency, but all those wage earners who have been hit with stagnant wage growth while costs continue to increase and government charges continue to increase. So what we've seen is not only a reduction in the number of jobs in this country, but also an accompanying reduction in the wages that people receive and the removal of the conditions. And all these has occurred as a direct result of pro-growth, pro-business legislation, which has legislated trade unions out of existence, which it makes withdrawing your labour outside an enterprising bargaining agreement period a criminal offence. A criminal offence. And once you're bankrupted, they can jail you. Now, I'd like to look at two parallels. I'd like to look at the situation in Hong Kong over the past week. And on Sunday, tens of thousands of people in Hong Kong flooded the streets in an illegal demonstration. Because last Thursday, three Hong Kong democracy activists, Joshua Wong, 20, Nathan Law, 24, and Alex Cho, Chow, 27, were sentenced to six to eight months imprisonment for the heinous crime of unlawful assembly. Okay? Unlawful assembly. So here is the Communist Communist Party, the Chinese Communist Party, if they're recourts, in Hong Kong, have sentenced these three democracy activists to periods of jail, six to eight months, for holding a demonstration, unlawful assembly, for getting together without a permit. Okay? And I can imagine people in this country jumping up and down about the authoritarian Communist Party, and I would agree with them. I'm jumping up and down with them. But let's look at the situation in Australia as far as working people are concerned, as far as wage earners are concerned, as far as the right to strike is concerned. The right to strike has been removed. It is removed. It is illegal to strike. A workplace occupation can be designated as a terrorist act. People can be jailed for up to 20 years for a workplace occupation. People can be fined $10,000 a day for being involved in a legal strike. People can be jailed for not answering questions by the Building Commission. The list goes on and on. So when we look at what's happening in Hong Kong, let's look at what's happening in Australia. Let's see if we can change what's happening in this country where it is now a criminal offence to withdraw your labour. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Well, we have other things happening. I said it's a busy, busy, busy Six to eight weeks. It's going to be busy till the end of the year and busy next year. Now, as you know, 
I hold a little lunch. Dinner, I should say, dinner. Every Wednesday night, Konjo Ethiopian restaurant, fresh fruit, freshly prepared, 6pm to 9pm, 20 Smith Street in Collingwood in Melbourne, across the road from 3CR. Every Wednesday. And every Wednesday we've held it for the last five weeks, somebody, you know, people have turned up. Sometimes big crowds, sometimes small crowds. And obviously you pay for your own drinks and food. It's not expensive. You pay for your own drinks and food. Bit of a chat, bit of a conversation. Hopefully encourage people to take action. It's been very productive in the last few weeks. We've had people who've said that they will organise certain events, which you'll hear about soon, on the Anarchist World this week. So that's every Wednesday. So that's something I'm doing now. So pop in. 6pm to 9pm, 9.30 at the very latest, 6 to 9.30, Wednesday night, Conjo Ethiopian restaurant, as I said, fresh food, freshly prepared, family-owned business, across the road from Free CR, 20 Smith Street in Collingwood. Turn up, join us, enjoy yourself, meet like-minded people every Wednesday night. Now also, on Saturday the 9th of September, I know there's a lot of interest because I talk about Eureka constantly on this program. The importance of Eureka. Now, on Saturday the 9th of September, that's right, Saturday the 9th of September, just around the corner, uh, I'll be holding the old, my, the usual walk and talk at the old Ballarat Cemetery. That's the corner of MacArthur Street and Creswick Road in Ballarat. Uh, if we meet at 11am at the Eureka Mass Grave. Meet at 11am, the Eureka Mass Grave, Saturday the 9th of September, show you around the graves, talk about the Eureka Rebellion, talk about the people who paid that ultimate price who are buried in that cemetery. Talk about the celebrations we're going to have on the 3rd of December, the reclaim of the radical spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations, and hopefully in the next two to three weeks we will have the program for that celebration, which usually starts at 4am and finishes at about 10pm. It's a Sunday this year. No excuse for not coming, you know, unless you're working on the weekends. And then at, and at 12.30, we're there at the cemetery for about an hour, then move down to the uh, Trades Hall at Ballarat, 24 Camp Street in Ballarat, for a barbecue lunch. So uh, you can uh, buy drinks at the Trades Hall bar and the barbecue lunch. I think the cost is about $4 to cover the cost of uh, the barbecue. And uh, you can bring your own stuff. If you're not a meat eater, bring your own stuff. So walk around the cemetery, listen to a talk and ask questions about the Eureka Graves located in the old Ballarat Cemetery. So join us Saturday the 9th of September, meeting at 11am, Eureka Mass Grave, old Ballarat Cemetery. There are two cemeteries in Ballarat. There's the new one and the old one. So it's the old one. If you go to the new one, you won't find us there. It's the corner of MacArthur Street and Creswick Road and that information most likely will be up on the Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. Now, next Wednesday, which should be, I think, the 30th. That's right. It will be the 30th of August. If you are in Melbourne, from 12pm to 1pm, public interest before corporate interest will be holding a rally on the steps of Parliament House. That's the Victorian Parliament House. We do hold a small rally on the last Wednesday of the month. Come and join us. Lunch after. Come and join us. Meet like-minded people, join public interest before corporate interests, get involved, 
get involved? And why public interest before corporate interest? It's interesting, isn't it? We find ourselves at an interesting juncture. You like that word? Juncture in life where there is increasing dissatisfaction with the political process, especially in a parliamentary democracies where we've seen over the last four decades the parliamentary system being hijacked by that 1% of the world that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And we've seen bucket loads, bucket loads of legislation which has put the interests of unaccountable corporations before the interests of the people of this country, not just in Australia but around the world. So there is a crisis as far as parliamentary democracy is concerned and obviously there are different ways of tackling this crisis in terms of reforms. But unfortunately around the world what we've seen is a reaction which is based on exclusiveness and nationalism. It's a reaction which is based on I'm going to look after the needs of the people who are the same as me, the same colour, the same religion. So we've seen atomisation of societies. We've seen a split, splintering of any resistance to that 1%. And public interest before corporate interest was set up in late 2015 for that very reason. Was to create a political and social movement, a movement which used direct action as well as the ballot box that was inclusive. Inclusive. It was about creating a a political movement and party that is inclusive, that doesn't see the enemy as somebody who wears different clothes who's got a a different religious persuasion or no religious persuasion or a different sexual orientation or is, you know, a different gender or speaks a a different language. So it's an inclusive organisation because we don't see the solution to the inequalities that exist in this country, the increase in inequalities that exist in this country, even in the world's most livable city, the city of Melbourne, that these inequalities are not based on the fact that somebody's a different religious persuasion or, or, or speaks a different language or comes from a different country or is a different colour or a different sexual orientation or a different gender. It comes from the fact that they all suffer a common oppression. And that oppression is based on the idea that each individual is born with inalienable rights and liberties that no government can legislate away, no corporation or no corporation can take away. That was public interest before corporate interest was was established. And we continue to look for new members, especially people on the electoral roll, because we need 550 people on the electoral roll to participate in the next federal election as a political party. And we're looking for people across this nation. And even if you're not on the electoral roll, you're still welcome to join. That's public interests before corporate interests. How do you join? Well, you can write, yes, you can write for an application form to Post Office Box 
20 Parkville 3052 Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 you can leave a message on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Or you can go to the website and download the application form. Pibsi, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Pibsi, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Think about it. Now, we're told there's no class in Australian society. I mean, Australian history can be divided into four distinct categories or periods. Pre-colonisation, colonisation, egalitarian, and a postmodern revolutionary period. You like that? I mean, class has played a pivotal role since colonisation, the beginning of colonisation in 1788. And I have been looking at the first few years of the first settlement, white settlement in Port, um, Port Jackson. And it's fascinating how stratified it was, not just in terms of the governor and the officers in the Marine Corps and the Marines and the convicts and the local people. But how stratified it all was, how class-ridden it was, how they were trying to transplant the British class system into Australia. So we've got to remember that in the pre-colonisation period, which started around 60,000 years ago, over 200 independent First Peoples nations were created on the Australian mainland and many of the surrounding islands. I mean, these communities had their own distinct laws, cultures, languages, spiritual beliefs and lived within well-defined geographical boundaries. Complex trading routes were established across the continent and processes were put in place that re- regulated movement between these communities. Hereditary class divisions based on the accumulation of wealth played a minimal role in Aboriginal communities and a, and a more prominent role in the Melanesian First Peoples nations that evolved in the Torres Strait. So let's remember that. That's the pre-colonisation period. And obviously I will... Next, look at the colonisation period. And I break up the colonisation period, 1788 to 1854. Now, although many European explorers and adventurers had set foot on Australian soil since the Dutch sea captain, William Jantz, first landed, landed on the Wenlock River in Queensland, 1606, no serious attempt was made to colonise Australia until Captain Arthur Phillip established a penal colony in New South Wales on behalf of the British Crown. Within six decades, 60 years, of the British penal colony being established, the Indigenous population in Australia 
have been reduced from well over a million to less than 50,000. And if you don't call that genocide, I don't know what you call genocide. The drastic result reduction in the population occurred as a direct result of the transplantation of the British class system to Australia. The rigid hierarchical divisions which existed between the officers, the soldiers, the bureaucrats and convicts created conditions that soon led to open warfare between the indigenous population and the colonisers. The British ruling and entrepreneurial classes began investing heavily in Australia, initially using three convict labour, and that was the key, three convict labour, and then cheap ticket of leave and immigrant labour to create vast estates that were built on the brutal destruction of a people who had lived on this continent for almost for over 60,000 years. The squatters, who were aided and abetted by employees, who in many cases had little choice but to comply with their master's requests, became the dominant political force in the new colonies that were springing up across the continent. So here we had people who created their fortunes, British ruling class, British entrepreneurs, who created their fortunes on the back of mass murder and the back of free convict labour and cheap ticket of leave labour. Nothing could be more class-ridden than that. Even in those colonies like Victoria and South Australia, there were not penal settlements. Ex-convicts, ticket of leave, men and women, provided a cheap, docile source of labour for the squatters as they attempted to wipe the indigenous population from the face of the earth so they could enjoy the bounties of the land of the people they had violently dispossessed and murdered to create profits for themselves and strengthen their stranglehold on the political processes that were evolving in the colonies. That's the first 60 years. The first 60 years of this country. And next week, I'll look at the egalitarian period between 1854 and 1975 and the counter-revolution between 1975 and 2015, and then we may talk about what's happening in 2017. So don't think class isn't an issue in Australia. It is a huge issue and continues to be a huge issue. And the increasing inequalities we are seeing, the stagnant wage growth we are seeing, the problems that people are having paying you know, their bills are all ultimately reliant on a class system which is aided and abetted and reinforced by legislation. Think about it. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. Now, you may have heard a little bit of rumblings about the Yarra City Council in Melbourne and the Darabin City Council in Melbourne basically saying bye-bye Australia Day, the 26th of January. And everybody's saying this is a green plot. All you've got to do is read the Murdoch media and see how they massage the news to see that, you know, 99.9999999999999999% of 
90% of Australians abhor this decision. Let's get it straight. Here in the anarchist world this week, we have been campaigning against Australia Day being celebrated on the 26th of January for the last 30 years. And I can show you stuff on paper, stuff published in the major newspapers of this country, which highlight that we have raised this issue over and over again with our radical Indigenous brothers and sisters. And I use the radical, the term radical because the Indigenous community, like every other community, is riddled by conservatism, reactionism, radical ideas. And we have always placed our faith in the radical segment of the First Nations people on this, on this continent. And we fought for over 12 years to get for the creation of, the, of a significant monument to the frontier wars, the first significant monument in this country. There are other monuments, but this is in the CBD of a major capital city, and I'm talking about the Tanaminaway Morborhina Monument at the corner of Franklin and Victoria Streets in Melbourne, opposite the old Melbourne jail, where these two men were hung for the heinous crime of resisting colonisation. And despite resistance from the Murdoch media, despite initial resistance from the Melbourne City Council, despite resistance by some sections of the Indigenous community, despite public resistance and despite a complete ignorance of what happened on the 20th of January 1842 when these two men, the first people hung in Victoria, two Indigenous people from Tasmania were hung for resisting white colonisation on this land. And despite all these hurdles, we have been able to have built in the city of Melbourne a major monument, Tanaminaway Morborhina, which recognises the frontier walls and recognises how this land was colonised. Because truth is the first casualty in every war. And if you want reconciliation, you need truth. Now, on the 20th of January, 2018, radical elements of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community and the people involved in the Tanaminaway Morborhina Commemoration Committee will be launching National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Freedom Fighters Day. It is one thing to participate in Invasion Day ceremonies. It is another thing to use the 20th of January as a day that recognises the deaths of tens of thousands of men, women and children who had a 60,000-year history on this continent. And having the monument there allows us to have that physical presence 
it allows us the opportunity to have that physical presence to launch National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island Freedom Fighters Day in this country. So we put it in your calendar. 20th of January, midday sharp, join us for National Indigenous Freedom Fighters Day. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can go to the websites, pipsy.net, that's public interest before corporate interest.net. Download the application form. Join us today. You can go to the Anarchist Media Institute website, Anarchist Media Institute. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. Join me Wednesday, every Wednesday evening, 6pm, fresh food, Conjo Ethiopian restaurant across the road from the studios of Melbourne's 3CR, 20 Smith Street, Fitzroy. 6pm, buy your own food and drinks, join us. You can come along on the 9th of September to Ballarat. Come for our 40th anniversary party on the uh, 20th of September. Join the Pipsy Rally on the 30th. Join the Defend and Extend Public Housing Rally on the... Um, i got to get this one right. On Wednesday the 6th of September, a parliamentary sitting day. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week. Listen in next week on your local community radio station. And remember, if you do nothing, nothing will ever change. Run away from your computer. Run away from your couch. Join us in the struggle to create an egalitarian community on this continent. Thank you. Listen in. Anarchist World this week, next week on the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.